All right, I just want to start off with a quick question. How many of you think that you're humble? That you're humble? I, in fact, I want you, if you'll do me a favor, raise your hand if you think that you're humble. Okay, Ryan has got his hand up there, waving it frantically. Is anybody else? Anybody else? Is anybody in here want to say they're the most humble person in this room? Nobody, nobody, what Ryan thinks he wins. Okay, well, there's a problem with asking that question, isn't there? The problem is, is that you're, if you're humble, you, know, you want to think a little more lowly of yourself. You don't want to say, I'm the most humble, because then you're bragging about it, and you can't brag about being humble because then you're not really humble. Because if you're really humble, what you do is you're, you're a self-deprecating person. You're, you're a person who walks around and says, I'm terrible. You're a person who walks around and says, I'm the worst. You know, you walk around talking about how awful you are and how you're just no good. If you're humble, you can't admit that you're humble because then you're just thinking too highly of yourself. And on top of all of that, you just might have this skewed definition of what humility really is. And that's brought to you in part by the manipulative, lying prince of darkness. You see, he loves to take something good like humility and turn it into something destructive and toxic and sinful. And it's what he does best. Over the last several weeks, we've loosely uh, had a sermon series based on C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. I know some of you uh, have gotten a copy of that and you've read it through. If you have, you don't have to raise your hand and show everybody because then maybe that's going a little bit against humility. But I've heard some of the conversations. Uh, I was actually in someone's house a few weeks ago and saw it sitting out that they had ordered that book and they were reading through it. You see, over the last several weeks, we've been attempting to identify some of the, the tricks and the ploys and the schemes and the lies that Satan uses to imprison and to exasperate, to disillusion and to inoculate to distract, and to destroy. Over the last several weeks, we've talked about how he tells us that we have plenty of time and we shouldn't hurry or rush. We'll do that good thing later. We'll pray later. We'll serve later. And then he tells some of us that we don't have time for anything. That we're too busy. He overloads our schedules and He overwhelms our days, leaving us weary and apathetic. He tells us lies like He did to Eve in the garden and Jesus in the desert. And He gets us to watch TV and our phones. And He uses that media as a way to get us to forget about the good that we could do around us by only focusing on the bad that is nowhere near us. Isn't that terrible how easily we get caught up after watching a, a video or a Facebook post or, or Fox News or CNN and we're all riled up and we just forget, we get so mad at what's going on out there that we forget that God has placed us right here. 
For some of us, he tries to convince us that we're the center of the universe and that the world revolves around us so much so that the existence of God is only to make us happy. He loves to sell us that lie. And then last week we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan and how Satan tries to overcomplicate the gospel, leaving us so confused that we will walk past the person on the side of the road, never thinking how Jesus would have acted. And so this morning we're going to look at how the devil uses humility or a false form of it to keep us from seeing Jesus. And showing him to this world. But before we go any further, I think it's important that we define what really is humility and to delineate between real humility and false humility. False humility is what I talked about earlier as we started off. This, this idea that you're, you're lowly scum and you're worthless and you have this, this sense of just never being good or even worse, just never being good enough. And that right there is not humility at all. In fact, that's just narcissism disguised as a form of false humility. Imagine if poor Mrs. Pity went to a party and there she met the wonderful, amazing Captain Arrogance. And they got together and they had a kid. That child might average out those two crazy dysfunction, dysfunctions and be a normal, average, contributing member, member of society. But equally as likely is that person will end up being just as arrogant as his dad, but he will hide it within the, I'm a terrible person and you need to publicly and privately convince me otherwise. Have you ever met people like that? I call this attention fishing. And maybe you've been in that boat with me. Because I found myself wanting to do that so desperately. You know what it's like. You, you, you throw out the line that says, Oh, I'm just terrible. And you're waiting for somebody to argue. Oh, I can't do anything right. Or, or oh, doesn't this dress make me look fat? We, we throw those things out. We drop that line in the water and we wait. We wait for someone to say, oh, you're not that bad at all. Or maybe they'll say, oh, you look great. Or that dress looks amazing on you. Or maybe, just maybe, they might say, you know what, Doug, you're the best preacher in the whole world. Oh, I've got a big one now. And we love that fishing. And I just want you to know, when I'm telling this to myself, and I have to talk to myself regularly, I do, I don't always listen, but I talk to myself, and I have to say, stop throwing out that line. Stop pretending to be humble so that people can tell you how great you are. That's not humility. That's just a form of narcissism. It's arrogance. Because at the end of the day, that type of humility is just a way to get other people to focus on you 
Or maybe you're just trying to convince yourself that maybe you're so bad that you're the best at being the worst. And either way, the spotlight still points back on you. So what really is humility if it's not moping around, kicking the can, wishing somebody would notice you and and try to pick you back up? Well, Wyatt shared with the teens what I think is a great descriptor of humility. He said this, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Think about that. It's not thinking, it is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. I want to give you an example of a few guys in the Bible who I just absolutely love. We're introduced to them in the book of Daniel. Daniel gets crazy uh, after a few chapters in, but before that you get the story of these three guys. What are their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I think these guys are a perfect example of humility. But not the humility that we think of. They're not weak, they're not mopey. They're called out by King Nebuchadnezzar who says, you better bow down. And it's not out of this false humility that they say, oh, we're not good enough to do this. Instead, what do they say? They say, hey, guess what? We will not bow down. And our God... He can save us. But even if He doesn't, we still won't worship that idol. Now that really is humility, which seems weird because really those guys are so incredibly confident in what they're saying. Humility doesn't say I'm a terrible person, I'm lowly. It says that there is something or someone more important than me. That's what humility is. It's putting others ahead of yourself. It's not kicking yourself down to the bottom. It's recognizing the needs and the concerns of others and putting them first. And that's exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They said, hey... We're not saying we're terrible people. We're saying we have an awesome God and He's going to take care of us. And no matter what happens, He's still God. That is humility. Jesus understood and modeled that same humility as Paul describes it in Philippians chapter 2. Now, if you're in the youth group, uh, you probably are a little familiar with this passage. We've been talking about this over last week. Uh, and again, this week, we're, we're working through the book of Philippians. And I absolutely love the book of Philippians. And I think I can tell you the truth and say it's my favorite book in the New Testament, along with like 26 others. It's a really, it's a, it's a, it's a really close. I love Philippians. And, and, and I can say that, that Philippians chapter 2, verses 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, they're kind of separated, are just some of the most amazing words in all of the Bible. 
Paul is going to describe Jesus as he's talking to the church in Philippi. You know, as, as you in in chapter 1, he's having this really weird conversation with himself. He is like arguing with himself, right? One uh, of the youth, can anybody remember, what was he arguing at the end of chapter 1? Does anybody remember? I, Lily, you moved your lips, but you're like, I don't, I don't want to say. Remember what he's talking about? He says, you know what? I don't know what I want to do. I don't know if I want to live or die. Now that's a really weird conversation to have, especially one to write down. And it seems crazy that it would be included in the Bible. But Paul wasn't writing this because he couldn't figure out how bad those were. He was talking about how good both of those were. He, oh, he says... To live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, you know what? It would be better to die because then I get to be with Jesus Christ. That's what I really want. But then he says, you know what? It would be better for me to stay with you. Because in staying with you, I can help build up your faith. That's, that's humility. And then he starts off chapter 2, depending on which version you're reading. But if you go back to the Greek, there's a... A little word in the Greek, but it's a really big word in the English. It's the word therefore. And he starts off chapter 2 and he says therefore. The therefore is connecting one and two. The one is, hey, I'm choosing not the best, but I'm choosing what I need to choose because I want it to benefit you. And so he says, therefore, that's what I want you to do. I want you to be people who put others ahead. And then he's going to say in verse 5, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then we have what biblical scholars call the Christ hymn, which is so incredibly beautiful. I say it's kind of really written in two different stanzas, 6 through 8 and 9 through 11. I want to focus in on that first one. It says, your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. This, this idea of being grasped is, is the holding of a harpoon, of, of, of clinging tightly to it. And he said, he let go of that. The equality with God that he had of being God, he says, I'm letting go of that. And he, and he made himself what? Nothing. He made himself nothing, becoming the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's, that's our king. But even more than that, you need to know that is your God. Because Jesus is the likeness and fullness of God. Jesus didn't come down to earth and go rogue. He didn't say, plan A is not working, let's try plan B. 
He is in the very nature God. And Jesus says, I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to make myself nothing. That is the way of God. And that's going to bother some of you. You say, wait, wait, that's not right. How can, how can God be humble? God is the greatest. W- remember, humility is not, I'm low and I'm worthless. What is humility? It's placing others ahead of you. That's exactly what God does. That's a perfect example of humility. God, greatest, creator. He could have squashed this world. He could have burned it and left it into nothing. Instead, he says, I'm going to send my son to save it. This is humility. The purpose of Jesus coming to this world was not to be the lowest. It's so that God could be witnessed and recognized as the highest. And we know this because if you keep reading, you get to verse 11, and this, all, of this, all the humbling that goes on and all the exalting, that's gonna, it all comes down to the glory of God. This is what humility really is. I don't want to confuse humility. I don't want you to think that humility is so that we can walk out here as being self-assured and joyful and confident people. If that happens, that's great, but that's not the goal of humility. Years and years ago, I probably shouldn't share this, but it's in my notes, so I'm going to go ahead and share it anyway. There was a character on Saturday Night Live. Back in the, back in the, old, the good old days of Saturday Night Live. Everybody says that. Everybody says the Saturday Night Live that they grew up with kids was the best and it's just gotten worse then. Well, I can tell you it, it, the best was when I watched it. And there was a character on Saturday Night Live whose name was Stuart Smiley. Does anybody remember Stuart Smiley? He would stand in front of a mirror and he would give himself these little talks and he would end every time he'd say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, People like me. Right? That's what he, he would tell himself that every time. But that's this this is not what this sermon is about. My goal is not you can walk out of here patting yourself on the back talking about how great you are. Or how, you know, this is some self-help remedy, how you can get yourself out of the gutter. What I really want you to know is this: is that humility is not for your gain. It's for the glory of God. A posture of humility is not so that you can be content or happy or so that you can feel good when you look in the mirror. It is so much more. And I want you all to hear this. You have been chosen. You've been picked. You've been selected. But I want you to know that it's not just about wearing a jersey. It's not just about being on the roster. That's not what being chosen really just means. It means that you are playing for God's team. Listen to what Peter says in his second chapter of his first letter, he says, but you are a chosen 
people a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. You were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so I just want to close out with this thought. What really is the purpose of a priest? If I'm here to tell you, if I'm going to reiterate what Peter said, if that applies to us, if I say you're a priest, what does that mean? Does it mean we go get the garb and we put it on and we walk around? I'm a priest, look at me, I'm so great! Is that what it's really about when he says you're a royal priesthood? What does a priest do? He serves. He, he intercedes. He's the go-between. She's the go-between. You're the go-between. Being a priest isn't just about everybody looking at you and saying, whoa, look how amazing you are. They should look at you and they should say, whoa, look how amazing God is. That's what a royal priesthood is. We're not called so we can think we're awesome. Which, by the way, I'm pretty sure you all are. But you know who's more awesome? God is. You have been chosen not to walk around, not to believe the lies of Satan and think that you're no good. You are God's special possession. You are the nation. You are the priesthood. You are the people who God wants to use so this world can see Him. You know, years ago I heard somebody share in a, I guess it was in a class, they said, you know, the reason why God came so that, you know, God would know what it's like to be a man. And I didn't say anything. I thought about it, and I've thought about it a lot since then. And I think my rebuttal to that comment would be, that's not why. God didn't come because he didn't know what it's like to be a man. He came because man didn't know what it was like. And to be this royal priesthood means the same thing. Our responsibility is to let others see Jesus. Every day. Both in here and when you leave here. When it's your birthday, Carolyn, or all the other days. When I know I'm in trouble for that one. Carolyn has been a model of the humility of Christ Jesus. And it's not because she walks around and says, I'm terrible. It's because she's continually put other people ahead of her. And that's what we're all called to do. And so that's what I, I want to ask you to do this week. Be people 
of humility. Let God be glorified. Place others ahead of yourself. And know that you have been chosen to do that for the glory of God. If there's any way that we can help you this morning, I want to encourage you to know that you have been chosen and selected and God is looking to lift you up and exalt you just as He did His Son. If there's any way we can serve you this morning, please come as we stand and sing.